This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our August 30th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. Yep, only one more trading day in the month of August, and then we head into the final month of the summer, a few weeks of the summer, and uh, an eventful time in the market as well. And I'm here to help guide you through these trying times and help you get prepared for the more fruitful times. And of course, I'm Justin Klein, and I appreciate you all tuning in for this hour. Uh, I have a lot to unpack for you today. And the main one is that our main focus point is that about the great resignation, how it's fading and employees are toning down demands for higher pay and remote work accommodations. So that's a, it's a big thing that we're, we're, we're going to cover today as well as, you know, your questions, your questions are always top of mind. So I encourage you to reach out with any questions 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The number is always 888 chart So I'm going to get to that main focus point, but I have some others as well. I didn't get to the U.S.-China audit deal that came down uh, just last week and what that might mean for the, the those stocks that are, that are listed here on the U.S. exchanges. Also, I want to touch on nuclear, and there's a few more signs that uh, politicians around the world, not just here in the U.S., are starting to become a little bit more realistic when it comes to how to address the energy crisis that we're currently in. Uh, and then I want to get to some other topics. One is about globalization and how some companies are fighting back. Uh, but uh, kind of, I want to go over the kind of the pros and cons of the reversal in globalization. And then lastly, we're going to touch on the, uh, the, the energy situation in, in Russia and how, you know, frankly, the sanctions haven't really hit them too bad. So those are the things that are on the docket for me today. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. And we're going to take our first listener question now. Hello, my name is Dominic, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on Tyson Foods. And the symbols are TSN. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right. Looking at TSN, Tyson Foods, obviously a consumer staple when you're talking about uh, one of the largest producers of beef, chicken, pork, and related products. 2.4% dividend yield. But earnings are expected to be eight, an all-time high of $8.88 this year, but down 14% to $7.64 next year. And that's the, the main issue I have with it is uh, it's been kind of over earning and they're not gonna be immune to the, the spiraling costs uh, as well. So 
Yeah, it is the largest producer of processed chicken and beef, as well as uh, a huge producer of pork. And they own Jimmy Dean, uh, Hillshire Farms, Ballpark, Sarah Lee, State Fair, as well as Raised and Rooted. 81% of its products are here are sold here in the U.S., 47% through retailers, 32% through food service providers, and about 10% through the packaged food industry. About 11% comes from overseas. So uh, that's one positive that it's, uh, especially in a strong dollar economy, that there's not that uh, huge exposure to foreign markets, but it also means it's more levered to our current market. And as uh, people's belts are tightening, uh, they're just going to naturally spend less on uh, on on, uh, on protein and meats. Now, this is in a clear downtrend. It's off about 24% from its 52-week high. And I'm going to pass on this. I just don't like the technicals. Uh, they're, they're pretty bad. And I don't like that reversion to the mean. Analysts are downgrading their earnings for this year and next year. Uh, and I don't like that reversion trend. So I'm going to pass on Tyson Foods. Good name to have on your watch list. If it gets down into the low 60s, then I might think about it. But at 76, I'm holding off. Let's go to Axel in Chino looking at 3M. Yeah. Thank you, Justin, for my question. Um, I'm wondering on 3M, I know I know there's going to be a spin-off with another company. And I, on a similar process. I've had AT&T for about a decade, and I know it had that spinoff, and we got Warner, Warner Brothers, and I kind of don't understand how, when you have a spinoff like that, I don't want to feel like Warner Brothers completely down like the And I don't know if that's going to happen in 3M, so I was wondering, could I just get rid of my position right now while I might be down about 10%? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question. There's a couple things to hit on here, and one are spinoffs. Now, historically, spinoffs are uh, value accretive in the long term, meaning uh, they you break up a company that's so large, like 3M, into uh, and you spin off a, a smaller portion that's more of a pure play, where it's focused. To, I think in this case, uh, it's healthcare. They're kind of spinning off their healthcare assets uh, and merging with another company, and then that's suddenly going to become you know, a, a pure play healthcare entity, whereas currently it's underneath this umbrella of this large industrial conglomerate, and therefore investors can go and focus on their investment on the healthcare side. Now, long term, that typically is good. But in the near term, and you're seeing that with Warner Brothers, that's actually technically bad, because most people own 3M, think of a, a UT, uh, an industrial ETF, and they're getting the spinoff. Well, it doesn't fit industrials. They don't want industrials. They don't want, or they don't, they want industrials. They don't want a healthcare spinoff. So they're likely to sell that spinoff in the near term, and that actually puts pressure on the stock on that spinoff in the shorter term. Now, long term, though, once again, I think it's value accretive. It's better, um, but near term, as you're seeing with Warner Brothers, there is a lot of pressure because people don't want to hold uh, something that they didn't feel like they 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 were getting with the previous um, entity. And so short-term, probably negative. And then you also have on top of that with 3M, the other thing to hit on is not just a spinoff, but this lawsuit that is basically was a subsidiary that went bankrupt and they were thought they were immune from liability, but a judge was ruling they're not. And that's why it's also gotten hit. So just a lot of things are hitting uh, 3M all at the same time. And 
frankly, it's just not something I would own in the, the short term. Now, long term, once they clear out this litigation, this overhang, uh, it's probably be a good buy. But in the near term, I think it's going to continue to go lower because the chart is very, very weak. So uh, I'm going to say I would not be a holder of 3M at the moment. Thanks for the call. Now we're heading into a break and I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99 chart. Let's go over to North Carolina and talk with Sid looking at BSCQ. B as in boy, S as in Sam, uh, C as in Charles, and B Q. As in Charlie. Yeah. There we go. Q yeah. Okay, this is the Vesco Bullet Shares 2026 corporate bond fund, correct? Yes, that's correct. And I have never done any. First of all, thanks for taking my call. It's of been course. always a wonderful talking to you and great session. So uh, I have never taken any ETF, but few of my friends were discussing and they were looking for investing and I definitely could not figure out what is your take on this one. Is it something we should look for a good long term? Thank you for your answers. Well, what's your definition of long term? This is a bullet share. So this is these are all bonds that that mature in 2026. So that's what the bullet shares do. So instead of having this constant changing maturity date of a bond fund, this has only bonds that mature in 2026. And therefore, once 2026 comes around or the end of 2026 comes around, this will return to par. Everything uh, you know, there might be some bankruptcies in the, in, in the portfolio between now and then. But uh, assuming the vast majority of them uh, reach reach their maturity date and go back to par, then you're going to get the par value back, and they're going to return the money to you, the holder of the ETF. So this is 2026. That's uh, four years from now. So call it three and a half. Uh, so. Is this something that you would consider long-term? Eh, 
kind of, sort of. Um, but that's what you really are looking for here. Yields about 4%, which is okay. You're getting a mix of mainly investment grade. Uh, triple B is 51% of the portfolio. A is 37% of the portfolio. Double A, about 7.5% of the portfolio. Triple A, only about 1.6% because there's not a lot of triple A issuers out there. Uh, so you're getting mainly investment grade at 4%, which is, which is good. Uh, it's relatively low duration. 3.8% modified duration, which is what you expect for something that's only going out about four years. So I'm a, you know, if, if this is what your target is, you don't want a lot of duration risk, you want all your money back sometime in 2026, this is the name for you. But I wouldn't call it a long-term investment, I would call it more medium term. Thanks for the call. 888-99 chart, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question today. Let's take a look at the market with the S&P down about 44 points, a little over 1%. And this is the, the first real follow-through day from last Friday's sell-off uh, after, the, after the Jackson Hole speech that really kind of spooked the markets. And we're back to expecting a three-quarters of a percent hike on the Fed funds rate in the, the, the Fed meeting in September in just a few weeks. Uh, now, one kind of positive late in the day was a note from the White House that they're expecting a weak jobs report uh, or to warn the public to expect a weak jobs report. And so that gave the market a little bit of lift saying that, hey, uh, maybe that's a hint that they know something that the market does not, which is that jobs number that's this Friday is going to come in pretty weak. And then uh, that's one more shot across the bow to uh, push the Fed to maybe not hike as aggressively. Uh, so that gave the market a little bit of life late in the day. Uh, and what was interesting is the dollar was actually down slightly today, uh, even though, you know, you had rates. Uh, what do rates do? Yeah, rates were flat. So that's kind of a expected. But, you know, the, the the equity markets are acting more spooked on the Fed rate hike than the bond or the currency markets are. And that's something that's kind of a tell for me that, you know, equity volatility can often be driven by uh, volatility, uh, matching funds, and uh, different types of Algo-driven funds, I mean, they have an algorithm that if volatility goes up, they do X, Y, and Z. If uh, the performance for the for the month is uh, for stocks is uh, higher than bonds and they reallocate from stocks to bonds, et cetera. And there's a lot of those kind of gyrations that are happening here near month end. And so uh, I think that was a lot of the volatility today because there really wasn't a whole lot of volatility in the bond market. Uh, and so uh, it was really driven mainly by those algos. Um, so. We'll see how we close uh, the month, uh, but we do get, once again, jobs uh, ADP figures tomorrow. So that'll be a hint at what that Friday number will look like. And I believe we also get the ISM prices paid index. That's gonna be a big data point tomorrow, which will be, uh, that's on the manufacturing side. It's not as important as the services side, but still interesting and will be a big data point to watch tomorrow as a hint towards what CPI will be for the month of August. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here on this program to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So give me a call now at 888 99Chart.
Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my focus point today concerns this headline. Employees are toning down demands for higher pay and remote work accommodations. And this was a study done by Harris Poll for Bloomberg. And more than half of employees believe their bosses have the higher ground in the workplace. And that's a 5% jump from January. And what this means is that workers feel less empowered to ask for perks and raises, uh, as well as the ability to work remote. And uh, that's a bit of a shift over, over the past couple of years. Now, nearly three in five respondents, 59%, so they don't feel comfortable asking for a raise. And only about half of respondents think that they have a shot at negotiating a flexible work arrangement, which is down huge. And you're already seeing this uh, announced today, Goldman Sachs said that they want all employees to come back to work. And then even companies like Compass, Coinbase, Uber, Twitter, Wayfair, Daily Harvest, Groupon, Ford Motors, they're all attempting to uh, either bring workers back to the workforce or they're just simply laying off workers. Now, those who started to join the Great Resignation are a bit fearful right now because there's that typical last in first out rule when business gets tough you tend to get rid of those that have the least seniority over those that have been there a long long time and have um, you know entrenched themselves into the workplace into uh, customers and, and clientele lives etc and that's really the big issue for those that have just recently changed jobs now according to insight global which is a staffing firm nearly 80 percent of workers are concerned about their job safety and 87% of managers said they would likely need to lay off employees if a recession hits. So companies are not afraid to, to lay off workers. Now, 60% of people in the Harris poll said they believe they could still readily find a higher paying job. And half said that they're already trying to nab some offers uh, from other companies to leverage raises with their current boss. So while the trend in the labor market is certainly weakening, it's still relatively strong because of low labor force participation, a lot of baby boomers retiring, uh, and just simply not enough people until you know, millennials have kids. When millennials have kids and, and they grow up to be working age, then they'll suddenly will suddenly have more enough uh, workers. But that's probably not for a decade uh, or probably two. Now, more than three quarters of business leaders polled in a Jones Lang LaSalle uh, survey said they are offering remote or hybrid work is critical to talent uh, attraction and retention. And so the hybrid model is now pretty much a permanent fixture of the workplace. So even if you did lose your job or, or, or move, uh, move jobs, the, the odds are good that your next job is likely to be uh, remote or at least hybrid. Uh, so that's, I guess, one positive of uh, a weakening how a weakening labor market uh, the efficiencies of hybrid work, remote work uh, are likely to stay in place 
if you're a white collar worker and you are just moving jobs or eventually find another one. So interesting study there. Uh, once again, a weakening labor market, but certainly not a bad one. Now let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on an anytime listener line at 888 chart Hey, Stephen Justin. First of all, I just want to thank you for the podcast. Two-year listener and uh, try to listen every day. My question for you is about iClean, I-C-L-N. It's a, a clean energy ETF. I was listening to the Wednesday 24th podcast. And you guys are talking a lot about energy. With the recent downturn, I think it might be a good entry point there. Or if there's other ETFs out there, I know you can't say specific ones, but um, if there's a better one out there, please let me know. Uh, I own a little bit in it right now. I'm trying to basically double my position. Thanks for the podcast. All right, looking at ICLN, which is the iShares Global Clean Energy ETF. And I think you definitely need to separate clean energy from traditional energy, traditional oil and gas and coal, uh, because those are very different. Clean energy requires a lot more inputs, uh, just a complex supply chain. And there can be companies that benefit from the move towards green energy, but are going to be more of the companies that make the the, the solid products. Uh, think of uh, those that make uh, the uh, make the solar panels as opposed to those that install the solar panels. Um, and not necessarily solar panels in general. I, I don't like solar panels uh, as a good proxy here, although there is a lot of tax incentives. Uh, but historically, in, in the new uh, Inflation Reduction Act. The issue is that the vast majority of this industry is overhyped, overpriced, uh, and their business model is very weak, meaning they don't tend to make good profits even in a time where everyone's trying to move towards clean energy. So think of those as very different. One is more speculative, one is more real world. If you wanna invest in energy, today's world, you wanna focus on those traditional energy sources uh, because those clean energy sources, while they're growing, the vast majority of those companies have not shown the ability to sustain profitability and have good cash flow uh, over the, the longer term. So focus on traditional energy. Thanks for the call. Now, tomorrow we're going to talk about China's debt bomb and is it ready to explode? We're going to dig into that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein and ready to take your questions live at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Hey, uh, I'm interested to buy this stock for a dividend play. S-B-L-K. Is S-B-L-K a good dividend stocks to buy for a long-term investment. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Bye. All right, looking at Star Bulk Carriers, and this is a international tanker transportation service company uh, in the dry bulk um, in the dry bulk business. 128 dry bulk carriers that it owns, and earnings skyrocketed post-pandemic. They only made. 17 cents in 2020, but $6.82 last year. Supposed to make $7.17 this year and $5.14 next year, down 28%. Now you're probably looking at that juicy 34% dividend yield. And anytime you're looking at that, you should always, if you ever see that, you have to shake your head and be like, that's, that's, not, that's not sustainable uh, and it's not realistic. And that's kind of what you're seeing here. Uh, and if you just go back to uh, the early 2000s, it was paying 8, 9, 10, 14, 15, 17% all through the early uh, 2010s. And then what did they do? They eliminated their dividend back in 2013. So this is certainly an extreme example. And most of these dry bolt carriers are, are like this, where they... They promise a big dividend, but underneath the surface, their their business is pretty bad because at the end of the day, nobody cares who's carrying their raw materials, their uh, their commodities. 
And so the profit margins in these businesses are very, very small and oftentimes negative, and they've been consistently negative for the space. Now, people chased this back in 2000, uh, 2009 uh, from the low of uh, about $100 per share. It kind of chopped sideways until 2014, and when it was at about $18 per share, right, it's called in the mid-20s, and they cut their dividend. So while it paid a healthy 8, 9, 10, 12% dividend, from 2009 to 2014, it was doing so on the back of pretty bad earnings and leveraging up the balance sheet. And eventually they just had to cut the dividend outright and they didn't, they didn't uh, pay it until recently. So look at the history. Once again, when you invest in a company for a dividend, dividend is always secondary. This is, you know, we've, we, we've been, I, I've been harping on people to, that are focusing too much on exciting names, growth stocks, you know, the Lucids of the world, the Zooms of the world, the companies that are now down 80, 90%. I've been warning about them for, year, for, for the last two years. Um, and now what's interesting is now that those are out of favor, everyone's just chasing dividends and they're not understanding the underlying quality of the business. Where is that dividend coming from? There's a lot of companies out there that are paying high dividends because they have over leveraged balance sheets and they're trying to, you know, maintain that and, and keep their business in, uh, uh, in, in business. And they're trying to attract investment dollars. And so that's all well and good in the near term, but longer term, unless they can have a sustainable, profitable cash flowing business that can, uh, pay 100% or more of that dividend, it's going to get cut eventually. And star bulk, star, bulk, star bulk carriers is a good example of that. So is this a sustainable dividend? Absolutely not. Focus on quality businesses. Dividend is always secondary. Thanks for the call. 888.99 chart, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's touch on a new agreement between Washington and Beijing. And this is somewhat of a landmark agreement that will allow U.S. regulators access to audits of Chinese companies that are listed on U.S. exchanges. Now, this would halt the threat, threatened delisting of about 200 different names that are listed on Wall Street of Chinese names. Uh, and Beijing historically has not allowed foreign regulators to inspect Chinese companies' audits. And they mainly have cited state protecting state secrets. But with this threat looming, they've suddenly given in to the demands of the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board here, which is a U.S. auditor, uh, auditor watchdog, excuse me. And... So as uh, they said on Friday, that it would allow them the power to select companies, audit engagements, and potential violations it inspects and investigates without consulting Chinese authorities. So having independent authority over, independent oversight, really, of the audit process and the audit companies. Now, under this deal, the... Chinese companies are going to be in Hong Kong, or excuse me, the PBAOC, 
the public company accounting oversight board is going to be in Hong Kong in mid September to begin their inspections. So that's really where the rubber will meet the road. And uh, SEC commissioner Gary Gensler has not spoken softly about this. He says, quote, make no mistake, though, the proof will be in the pudding. This agreement will be meaningful, meaningful only if the PCAOB actually can expect and investigate completed, completely audited firms in China, end quote. So that's really the, the juxtaposition of it here is, yes, this is an agreement in principle, but they have not actually gone there. What, what's going to happen when they dig into uh, these reports into these audit reports and they start to ask questions and they follow up on those answers and they really do true regulatory work. Will the Chinese government actually give in to the demands of the PB, PCAOB? And this involves five, uh, the big four accounting firms uh, that work in mainland China as well as Hong Kong. And several people close to the matter said that the pilot would have to go very smoothly in order for, these, for them to accept that China was compliant with the U.S. audit disclosure rules. So this is one of those things where you, you can't take the headline as is. You really have to say, is China really, after all these years, are they going to comply with our regulatory demands, things that scrutinize their businesses, I have a hard time believing that. Let me tell you a quick story here. And so I have a, I have a, a good friend, one of my best friends. He is the founder and president of uh, a company that makes devices. A lot of their devices are uh, produced in China, or at least put together in China. The, 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 the components come from a lot of other countries. Uh, but basically, there's been a lot of knockoffs of their best-selling product in China, just dozens and dozens all over Amazon, et cetera, that has stolen a lot of market share from them. Well, they spent a lot of money on, actually more than Apple did uh, last year, on suing different Chinese manufacturers for patent infringement. Well, what they did was this company works with a lot, they have a lot of um, high-profile athletes that use their products. And they in, in court, uh, the other Chinese company said that this, these athletes were shown using this product before it was officially launched and therefore they weren't in violation of patent infringement. And that, according to Chinese judges, held water. And so it just goes to show you that no matter how much you innovate, no matter how much they steal the intellectual property in China, and no matter how much U.S. companies try to go after those companies that steal intellectual property, they're going to side on, they're going to be on the side of the Chinese manufacturer, Chinese citizens over U.S. companies, U.S. citizens. And so I don't see this as any different. You have a U.S. entity digging into what's happening in China. They're not going to like that. And the odds are very good that they're going to not pass the tests that the SEC is going to put on them. But we'll see. Now let's answer an iTunes review question. Will from Chattanooga says, I learn something new with almost every episode. I'm curious to know your thoughts on 
LSB Industries. LXU is the symbol. Let me pull that up here. LXU. They're in the chemical ammonia fertilizer space. Natural gas prices climbing in Europe. I can see strong tailwinds for this company and industry. Let's see. Um, hmm. So they're a bit more diversified than your larger uh, ag companies that are out there, your mosaics and, and CF industries, uh, etc. But let me take a look here. LXU. Market cap of about 1.3 billion, so definitely in the small cap space. Its business has clearly done well, but they were losing money before this situation. Now they're repurchasing some shares, which is, is nice, about $100 million, uh, roughly 8 or 9% of the portfolio of the, uh, the market cap, which is good. But that was announced, yeah, that was announced a couple weeks ago. Uh, my worry, though, is long term, historically, they've had very, very bad profitability. They were losing money consistently pre-pandemic. And if you look at their uh, their free cash flow outside of the most recent history, it's kind of fluctuated to being negative. And, and in 2016, it was negative in a big, big way. Um, so, yes, they have had some tailwinds, but it looks like their business is more diversified and not something that... Uh, I, I would want a pure play. If you're talking about fertilizer industry and natural gas prices climbing in Europe, I agree with that. But, excuse me with that. Uh, the, I, I definitely think that the natural, uh, this is not a pure play and I would pass on it just because of the history of that uh, negative free cash flow and poor business. Now let's keep things moving. Here comes another question, this time from a caller in Michigan. Good afternoon, guys. This is uh, Mark from Michigan. I really like to show you guys give good common sense uh, information that's easy to understand. I appreciate that. I've got a question for you on a stock MPW, it's a medical property trust, it's a REIT. I know the metrics are a little different to value a REIT. I'd like you to go over that for me if you could. Tell me what you think about it. I know the chart's so ugly, it's mother'd probably slap it. But uh, other than that, pays a good dividend uh, and Seems like the medical arena is a good place to be. Again, thank you and thanks for the great show. All right, looking at Medical Properties Trust. And this is once again, chasing that 8% yield and the relative strength is horrendous. You're talking about 18. So 82% of positions have outperformed it over the past year. And its business is in uh, now in decline or rep funds from operation are supposed to decline 20% this year and this is a company that is mainly focused uh, it is medical properties uh but it's mainly focused let's take a look here uh, so us germany and the uk so it's a bit diversified there um let's see here what is it it says healthcare facilities i would like to know what type um but ultimately the proof is in the pudding their business is struggling. And this is a clear chase for yield, uh, especially with the downtrend in the price. And I would absolutely pass on this. So this, is, this, this is important. I have to hit on this once again. Once again, I need everyone to internalize this because this is when I talk about the tools, talk at the top of the show, we're trying to give you the tools to be successful, okay? What you, I, I really want this to hit home. Dividends are only important 
in the sense that they give management discipline. Okay. And when the data about their business continues to underwhelm, it means that management isn't having discipline anyway. Okay. That's the long-term positive aspect of a dividend is management is very slow to make big investment decisions because they want to make sure that they can pay that dividend. And they want to make sure that anything they're going to invest in is going to pay off longer term above their cost of capital, above their cost of debt, especially. And so if you're just chasing the dividend and you're not focusing on other aspects of a quality business, then all you're doing is chasing after bad management. And the market is going to price it so. When you have an 8% yield, when most other REITs are trading at yields half that, that means you either have bad assets or you have bad management or both. So first thing you should do is say, okay, let me go to maybe an ETF of that industry. What is the average company paying within that industry? Maybe even the average dividend payer within that industry. You could use that. And if it's trading dramatically above that level, the market's probably telling you something. And so when you chase high dividends, you have a, a strong, a strong probability that you're buying into a value trap. Now it's not guaranteed, but it's a strong probability. And you need to investigate that. You need to convince yourself that this is not a value trap. Ignore the dividend. Focus on, is this a value trap or is it not? Now we're heading into a break. This is your last chance to give us a call for this hour with your finance and investment questions on Invest Talk at 888 chart Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Hi, Steve and Jason. My name is Mark. I am from Silicon Valley. I want to ask you the question, what do you think about the company Two Harbor Investment Corporation? It's T as a thumb, W as a window, O as an orange, T-W-O. I own the company and it used to be in 2021 around $14. Now it dropped about $5. What do you think? Should I continue to hold shares or to sell them? I appreciate your answer and I follow your podcast already many years and it's really good and helpful podcast. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Bye. All right. This is Two Harbors Investments and this is another high yielding REIT. Now it's different than the last one, which was focused on medical properties. This is a mortgage REIT 
And it was trading at about $15 pre-pandemic, and now it's at about five bucks. And during times when the yield curve is rising or, or uh, expanding, yeah, I guess the, yeah, the yield spread, excuse me, between short and long-term rates is, is increasing, then these typically do fairly well. And you can see this hit at a bottom uh, during the pandemic of $2 and change, and hit a high just uh, late last year, uh, around $8. So uh, it's been, it's down about 28% from its 52-week high, and it's in a clear downtrend. And that's because the yield curve has been flattening and has been negative. Remember, these are investing in mortgages and they're borrowing short and lending long. They're kind of like a bank, a levered bank. And when the short-term cost of borrowing goes up, their cost of capital goes up and the amount they're receiving from those uh, mortgage-backed securities that they've bought stays relatively static. And so that's a, not a great recipe for their business and funds from operation. You can see 2017, Funds per operation were $2.08. Now, 80 cents, down 2% from last year, expected to be down another 5% next year to 76 cents. And they continue to issue shares in order to pay that dividend. So the dividend is clearly not sustainable. If you look at its, uh, its number of shares outstanding, which I'll pull up right here, right now it's about 344 million. That's up from 2018 when it was 175 million and 2021, uh, 273 million. So they continue to issue more shares when they need to delever their balance sheet. And so this is another example of chasing yield and then especially not understanding the business, not understanding the environment that we're in, which is, is the yield curve expanding or is it, is it, is it tightening? Uh, and going negative in, in a negative uh, yield spread environment, this is the exact opposite of the name you want to be in. So you want to pass on TWO or any of the mortgage REITs right now. That is Two Harbors Investment Corp. Now, lastly, let's get to a shift in policy from Governor Gavin Newsom here in California. And... He's been a longtime proponent of shutting down the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, but he's now reverse course and he's trying to go on a last minute effort to extend the operation of the plant by a decade. And he cited unprecedented stress on the state's energy systems as a reason for keeping it open. In and of itself, it accounts for 9% of the state's electricity generation and 17% of its electricity from carbon-free sources. Now, tomorrow, this is tomorrow, California legislature will be voting on whether to extend the life of the plant. Now, proponents of extending the life of the plant argue that the steady power output is crucial to the state's reaching its goal of carbon-free electricity by 2045 and the fact that, hey, it's been operating incident-free since 1985. And it's especially true now that California is phasing out petrol-fueled cars and put more stress on the energy grid. And the heat wave is, uh, means that uh, there's lower water levels and less hydroelectric power coming from the dams. And this points to other states. New York State, for example, they shut down their power plants in 2020 and 2021, and all they did was turn on more natural gas plants. So it's actually reversed their climate objectives 
And same thing's happening in Germany right now. They're actually turning to burning oil, burning coal, things that are completely against their climate objectives. And it's pretty clear that politicians, at least the relatively smarter ones, <laughs> hard to say that about politicians, but relatively smarter ones are starting to catch on and seeing that nuclear is the path forward. So it's definitely a place that everybody needs to be paying attention to uh, when it comes to your exposure to energy in your portfolio, the nuclear space. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can get anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights.